Resistance, Chapter 38, April 19th, 1943, Warsaw Ghetto. Esther and I found Yitzkov in a building overlooking Mila Street, inside what of men must have been very nice apartments at one time, and there we joined one of four groups that had been ordered to hide. They hadn't seen much fighting yet, but I described to them our success and warned of the consequences of humiliating the Germans the way we had. Yitzchak was too excited about their plan to have properly heard me. With a smile of naive enthusiasm, he said, We've seen them lining up outside the gate. This is the most likely road for them to come down. When they do, our orders are to wait. Wait? Esther asked. No, if we allow them to get deeper into the ghetto, that's where our civilians are. We have to keep them. Our orders are to wait, Yitzchak put his head down as if to end the conversation, and I followed his gesture. There were many times over the past few years when it had been my job to think on my feet, to make my own decisions. This was not one of those times. It wasn't long before another column of soldiers appeared, hundreds of them, mostly Ukrainian SS men and Jewish police officers similar to what had happened earlier that morning. My gun was trained on the SS officers, It infuriated me to see the OD march in with the enemy, traitors to our people, traitors to their own beliefs, but I couldn't fire on them. Did your father send in the OD? A man hissed over over to Esther. She shrunk behind me and I glared at the man until he looked away. He's afraid, I whispered to Esther. He's afraid and angry and he doesn't know what to do with all that emotion. What he said wasn't about you. It was, she replied. I loved my father, Kaya. I still do. But being in the Judenrat was an impossible situation. I remember at the beginning, he thought he could help the people here, and he did a lot of good. But very soon, the choices weren't between good and bad. They were between bad and awful. A choiceless choice, I mumbled. There is no winning, only a decision as to how we will lose. How many times had I faced that very problem myself? Esther nodded. Exactly. Either my father cooperated with the Nazis or they'd punish his family. So he sent you away? Her voice cracked. I asked to go. I had to go. Of course, I'd rather have stayed with my family, but not if I was a tool used against my people. I put an arm around her, drawing her in close. Your own choiceless choice. And just like that, I wasn't angry at her anymore for lying about her past or about loads or for any of the mistakes she'd made. I made many more mistakes myself and had not had to pay half the price for it that she had. Orders were shouted to the soldiers on the street, reminding me of the need for silence and to pay attention. I looked outside again, waiting until the lines passed, but my mind became a constant zigzag between three thoughts. The first was for Yitzchak and Esther. How much I loved them. How much I wanted to protect them. I would give my life for either of them if necessary, if it would matter in the end. Then I thought of Akiva. Our leaders, the Drangers, could have left for Poland before the war took effect, but they came back to fight for us, just as I'd come here. I missed my friends in Akiva, too. Reuben and any others who continued to fight in the forests. Those who were gone. Without their training, their example, I would not be here today. 
And even if I had the choice not to be here but living in freedom a thousand kilometers from here, I'd choose to stay and fight. This was where I belonged. Which pulled my mind back to the present, to the rows of Jewish fighters on either side of me, each of us waiting, each of us hoping our contribution to the fight made a difference. The column of soldiers passed us by entirely. Their eyes were focused directly ahead as they'd been trained to do, but that was a mistake. We were to the side of them, and above them, and below. Nothing was ahead but a dead end, literally, because once they were ahead of us, with a shouted order in Yiddish, the fight began. It was mostly gunfire and a few grenades, but it took surprisingly little to scatter their lines and force a retreat. That was easy, Yisgaf said. Too easy. They'll be back. And they were, only 15 minutes later. But this time, the advancing army was accompanied by three tanks. Again, we were ready. Let's stop them, I whispered, holding out my hand to Esther. But she only grinned over at me. This one's mine. She pulled a match from her matchbook, lit the rag on the outside of a fuel-filled wine bottle, and threw it into the strait, smashing the bottle directly on the nearest tank. The spilled liquid immediately ignited and would have done little good, except others had the same idea. Something must have leaked inside that tank, because suddenly the top hatch burst open like a popped cork. Flames shot from within the tank. The entire thing was on fire. Evacuate, someone shouted from within our bunker. That thing is going to explode. Esther, Yitzkoff, and I grabbed what remained of our weapons and scurried to a lower floor, but we were still only halfway down the stairs when the explosion shook the walls and chunks of ceiling fell around us. Now there are two tanks, Esther said, nimbly dodging another piece of falling plaster as we ran. We followed the rest of our group into a neighboring building where we were told to find new positions. Esther and I ran up to the third floor where I hoped to see another round of explosions, but by the time we found a, a window, the two remaining tanks were retreating. An entire column of German soldiers had begun hiding behind the tanks, but our grenade, grenade, grenades and gunfire took care of them. A woman at the far end of the room from me sat back against the wall, nodding as if an enormous weight had been lifted from her shoulders. German blood, at long last the blood spilled in the ghettos, is not from the Jews. She was right, but I couldn't cheer for that either. I wanted a world in which no blood must be spilled. A world free of hatred that made a fight such as this necessary. The walls rattled sharply, ending the celebration around me. We rushed to the windows, but wherever that explosion came from, it was at least a few blocks away. A reminder that success on one corner did not guarantee success elsewhere. They're in retreat, a man shouted up from the floors below. Wait where you are until we get further orders. The same woman who spoke earlier passed around some rusk bread, and we shared drinks from a few bottles of water. It was rust-colored, which couldn't possibly be healthy, but then... I was hiding in a war zone surrounded by impassable walls and German soldiers. Dirty water was the least of my concerns. After an hour, Tamir came with a radio and a report from elsewhere in the ghetto. The Germans have left for now, he said. One of our fighters is dead. Only one, which is a miracle, but still one dead. I almost couldn't believe my ears. Only one dead when so many Germans had fallen? Don't feel hope, I reminded myself. Don't let yourself believe that this is over. But I did hope and I did wonder if maybe we had a chance. 
I knew it was foolish, even dangerous, to dwell on what I knew to be impossible, but I couldn't help it. What if we did make a difference here? The radio was switched on and turned to the German broadcast. Everyone who was not assigned to keep watch elsewhere huddled around to listen. For those who didn't speak German, Tamir gave the translation. At first he smiled. They called us bandits. Perhaps we are. I smiled too. I considered that a compliment. Then his face darkened. The commander of this first wave is being replaced. That means they will return with a new strategy and an officer determined to prove himself to his superiors. Another smile now. The new commander has rejected a call for aircraft bombers. He says it's not necessary against vermin such as us. This was good news. It meant the Germans were underestimating us just as we underestimated them early in the war. They believed we were incapable of sustaining an attack fierce enough to require a bomber. They'd think differently before this day was over, which left a pit in my stomach. Before this day was over, they would have changed their minds. They would send a plane to bomb us sooner or later. Despite what the radio said, I was sure it would be sooner.